So to that end, let's look at the word that was just read for us. John chapter 1, this is John's prologue. Um, A very theological prologue, lots of different things that we learn about God and Jesus. And we're not going to take the time to look at everything in here. Um, But I felt like in terms of Epiphany Sunday, this would be an appropriate place to think about uh, Jesus as light and what that means for us. But um, before we dive in, I have a good friend of mine who's happily married, three wonderful kids, very successful company that he started and, and runs. And if you were to judge kind of from a Western perspective, his life looking from the outside in with the success of his family, his community, his business, you would literally say that he's just killing it at life. Everything was going f- you know, well for him. And then a couple years ago, he went to go get his annual physical, went to go see how he was doing physically, and the doctor had him do all sorts of tests, you know, a heart test, see how his heart was doing, blood pressure, cholesterol. They just ran him through the uh, the gamut, through all these different tests at him, and the doctor came back after the test and said, literally what you're doing to your body, you're killing yourself. Because if you do not change something about the way in which you're living, your heart is not going to stand very much longer. And I thought about that. From the outside in, successful family, wonderful community, unbelievable, profitable business. On the outside in, everything was going well. But on the inside, he literally was dying. There was no life because his heart was about to lose function. That's what the fitness test revealed. At the end of John's gospel, John tells us why he's written the whole thing. He says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And here's the thing. All of us come here this morning as life seekers. So maybe a strange way of saying it, but we're all life seekers. We're looking at this world that we live in, and we're trying to figure out where's my significance? What's my purpose? We're looking for life. We're trying to answer those big questions. And here's the reality. Many of you in here are winning at life. You're beautiful. You're physically fit. Vocationally, you're ahead of the curve. Relationally, everything looks like it's going well. But my question for you to entertain this morning is this. Is there health in your heart. Because biblically speaking, the Bible says that the heart, the seat of all of our emotions, our desires, our, our will, our affections, if our heart is not healthy, you do not have life. 
Like, you may be winning at all sorts of things on the outside. But if your heart is not healthy, the Bible says that you have no life. And you're literally dying. What John does in the opening section of his gospel is he gives us the remedy for a healthy heart. John, right out of the gate, is going to give us what a healthy heart needs in order for us to have life. So what is it? Before we consider that, let's pray and ask God to show us. Our Father, we pray that as we consider your word, that we might be able to hear the the voice of the good shepherd. Would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us eyes to see? And would you give us hearts to believe? And the one in whom John is, is revealing for us in the opening few verses of his gospel. We need your help this morning to have healthy hearts. So would you begin to do that work on us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what do we learn from John's prologue? What is John's remedy for a healthy heart that gives us life? And it's this. It's very simple this morning. John discloses for us that Jesus Christ is truly God and Jesus Christ is truly man. The way the ancients put it was that Jesus Christ became what he was not without ever ceasing to be who he always was. So this morning what I want to do is I just want to look at those two simple things, that Jesus Christ is truly God and truly man. And then so what? What would that mean for us? First, that Jesus Christ is truly God. Look again at verses 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John begins his gospel by going back to eternity past. And if you're at all familiar with the Bible, John kind of echoes creation language. This is kind of a throwback to the beginning parts of Genesis, where if you remember, Genesis 1 says, in the beginning was God who created the heavens and the earth, and God said, let there be light, and God said, and God said, and God said. John is is recounting creational language by identifying the Word being with God, and the Word was God. Notice in the creation account is the words of God that create. And John is picking up on that. And he is literally saying that, the, that who he's calling is the word is the creator. The sustainer of all things. John deliberately says that this person, he wasn't created. But that he was the creator. That he was with God and that he is God. In other words, John is showing us that the Word literally is the self-expression of who God is. Another way of thinking about it is this. If you want to know who God is, John is saying, look to Jesus Christ. 
Because Jesus Christ reveals to us exactly who God is. And the question is this, why would John take us all the way back to eternity past in order to convince us that Jesus Christ is God? Like, why does he start there? Why does he begin with Jesus as truly God? I'm trying to figure out the best, I was trying to figure out the best way to illustrate this, and and here's my attempt. I don't know if you ever saw the the story that kind of made a a big splash in social media circles a couple years ago. It's the story about Bo Paskey. If you're college football fans, you'll, you'll remember this. If you're not, sad for you. Bo Paskey is a sixth grader in, in Montford Elementary in, in Florida, and um, he has autism. And his mom, you know, as the story went viral, she kind of talked a little bit about her anxiety in relation to his autism, especially as he goes to school. And she says this, she says, I have feelings of anxiety for him, and they can be overwhelming at times. Bo doesn't seem to notice anymore when people stare at him when he flaps his hands. He doesn't seem to notice that he doesn't get invited to birthday parties anymore. He doesn't seem to mind when he eats alone at lunch. He goes, it's, she says, it's my one daily question for him. Who did you eat with today? And most of the time, Bo says, no one. Then one day, Bo's mom receives a text from a friend who works at, at Bo's school. And it's a picture of Bo sitting next to this large man. And, they, and, and the text literally said, Bo's having lunch with Travis Randolph. And Bo's mom texts back basically what your stare is implying. Who's Travis Randolph? <laughs> Travis Randolph was a wide receiver for the Florida State Seminoles, and he was one of the top receivers in all of the country, playing at one of the top programs in all of the country. And it's just a picture of Bo and Travis at a table by themselves having lunch. And as soon as Bo's mom realized who Travis Randolph was, you know, the story says she just immediately began to weep. Because here you have the greatness of this college football player, Travis Randolph, who's gotten down to Bo's level, eating lunch with him, loving him, showing him on that day that he was the most important kid in all of the school. And that whole story went viral. And my question is this, is why do stories like that move us the way that it does? And here's what I want to suggest. The reason why stories like that move us is because greatness got down on a level. The beauty of someone so great and so famous got down on the level of someone who in some ways seemed insignificant at the time. And those types of stories move us. And what John is doing by showing us Jesus and eternity past is he's showing us the majesty and the beauty and the wonder of Jesus Christ as he has always been. 
And John is saying, if you miss that Jesus is truly God, if you miss his greatness, if you miss his, his transcendence, if you miss that, you'll never understand and appreciate the beauty of his love, of his eminence, of his nearness. You see, John takes us to eternity past to show us the greatness of who Jesus is. Now, why would that be important for us? Well, look again at verse 4. John tells us that Jesus, since he is God, only in him is life. And this life is the light of men. And this light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And what John is beginning to build a case is he's saying that this world that we inhabit, though it started off as good and perfect, this, this world now is a dark place. It's cursed. It's full of brokenness and sorrow and heartache and death. And some of you here this morning, you know how deep and dark the darkness can become. You've tasted it. You have scars that bear the darkness. But not only do you know that the world is a dark place, but you know that the darkness actually resides in our hearts. The things that we think about. The ways in which we think about the people who are not like us. The ways in which we try and control people's perceptions of us. You know, we kind of Heisman people because we don't want them to know what we're really like because we're afraid if they actually see some of the darkness, it might actually terrify them. And the question is this, that John's at least hinting at, is what are we going to do in order to heal the darkness that's not only there in the world, but actually inside of all of us? What are we going to run to to find a healthy heart? Is it going to be sex? Is it going to be alcohol? Are we going to medicate on certain things? Is it going to be exercise? That's why we have New Year's resolutions. Because most of us failed 2017, so we feel like we need to start over. Are we going to look to parenting as the thing that's going to heal us? Gosh, I hope not. (laughs) Our marriage, wealth, comfort, you name it. John comes and he says that Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness. And it is the only light that the darkness has yet to overcome. John is building a case saying that Jesus as truly God is the only one who can heal our hearts. How is that possible? How is it that Jesus as truly God is the one who heals us? Well, think of it like this. Let me ask you a question. If God is love, now, most people who believe that there is a God, even if you don't believe that there is a God, most people would say that God has to actually be a God of love. So, if God is love, how do you think that God would actually express his love to his creation? And this is what is so beautiful about 
Christianity and why I think it makes it so compelling against all other religions. John has spent the first 13 verses making a case that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God, that he is truly God, very God of very God, so that you would feel the weight of verse 14. Verse 14 says this, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God the Son takes on a human body, lives in poverty, lives as a person who's misunderstood, is rejected, persecuted, suffers immense sorrow and heartache, and dies a cruel death on a cross. He experienced everything that we experience, yet without sin. He got tired and hungry. He sweat. He bled. Verse 14 is one of the most beautiful verses, I think, in all of the Bible, that the Word became flesh. The way in which God expresses His love to His creation is by becoming like us in order to heal us. The ancients used to say that what is not assumed is not healed. In other words, what they're saying is that if Jesus did not assume flesh, then our flesh would not be healed. So the fact that he is God, he has to be man as well. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. There's a great story about Father Damien, who in 1864 moved to Hawaii to live in a leper colony. And the story goes that for at least 16 years, Father Damien, he, he bound up their, their bandages. He built schools and houses. He created bands and choirs. He built over 2,000 coffins with his own hands because he wanted the people in this leper colony, when they died, to actually be buried with dignity. And it goes to say that, that the work that Father Damien did in this leper colony, it actually created a place for lepers to go and live rather than a place for them to go and die. And what was amazing about the story of Father Damien is this, is that he was not cautious in terms of how near he got to the lepers. He actually would dip his own bread in the same bowl that they would dip their bread in. He would actually share his own pipe with the, with the, the people in, in, in the colony. He was not afraid to touch them and to embrace them. And because of that, the folks in that colony absolutely loved him. And then one day he preaches a sermon I don't know how many years this had been, but he started off the sermon like this. We lepers. You see, he had identified himself so much with the lepers that he became like them. He lived with them. He lived as, if the, he lived as they lived, and then he was going to die as they died. 
And what John is saying in verse 14 is this, if I can put it like this, that when Jesus arrives in the flesh, it's as if Jesus is saying, we lepers. That Jesus gave up everything in order to be near to you and to me. Jesus took on flesh in order to heal us. The incarnation of Jesus means that as the light comes into the world, that darkness will never overcome it. Only in Christianity do you have a God who is love, and the way he expresses that love is by becoming a man and dwelling among us. No other religion even remotely suggests this. Every other religion says that you must actually go to God and work out some sort of arrangement with that God. Whether it's through your own obedience, through your own achievements, through your own success, through your own sacrifice. But only in Christianity do you actually have a God who comes near to you. Despite your successes and achievements, despite your failures and sins. Look again at verse 10. It says that he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Jesus' own people rejected him and yet he keeps coming. He keeps coming after the darkness. He keeps coming after people who hate him, who despise him. He keeps coming after people who can't make sense of their life. He keeps coming after people who are apathetic about him and their neighbor. He keeps coming. Why? Because the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness will not overcome it. Jesus is truly God and truly man. And those things have to be true in order for us to have a healing heart. So what does that mean for you and me? Look again at verse 16. John tells us that that when you begin to connect your life to the God-man, when you begin to connect your life to Jesus who is truly God and truly man, John says there's fullness in Jesus. And out of that fullness you receive grace upon grace. What a great phrase to remember. That when you connect to Jesus, you you receive grace upon grace. Now, what does that mean? What would it look like to be a person who receives grace upon grace? Ricky Jones is a former campus minister in RUF at Delta State in in Cleveland, Mississippi, and he also served as a campus minister at Mississippi State. In, in Starkville, Mississippi. And he tells a story about when he was eight years old, he, he wanted to buy his, his family Christmas presents. But he didn't have any money, so he, he drew them pictures and then rolled them up in, in a scroll and gave it to them. All of them found their way into the trash can except the one he gave to his mom, of course, you know. So the next year, he was determined to figure out a way to buy Christmas presents, but he really only wanted to buy his mom a Christmas present. So 
he goes and he asks her, he's like, look, I, I don't have any money, but I want to buy you a Christmas present this year. She said, can I do some chores around the house? She's like, yeah. Just go outside and pick up some sticks. So he goes outside, and as a nine-year-old, he worked really hard, and he picked up and gathered all these sticks. And after he was done, he earned $10. Gets the $10, and he looks at his mom, and he says, is there anything that you're wanting for Christmas? And she's like, well, actually there is. There's this necklace at Kmart that I want. So Ricky, as a nine-year-old, says, are we going to be going to Kmart anytime soon? And his mom was like, well, lo and behold, there's a few things I need at Kmart. So they get in the car, they go to Kmart, and he buys the necklace that his mom wants for Christmas. It costs $9, but he didn't have enough to actually have it gift wrapped. So he takes it home in the box, goes into his room. Wrapping's hard for anyone, but you can imagine a nine-year-old trying to wrap a gift. And he gets so frustrated that he's unable to wrap it. And so he puts a sticky note on it and says, Ricky can't wrap. And gives it to his mom and asks her to wrap the gift. So she wraps the gift. And after it's done, he goes and puts it under the tree. And then, of course, Christmas Day, he runs out, grabs the present, takes it to his mom. She opens it with sheer delight and surprise as if she had no idea what was in the box. You had a mom who did absolutely everything. She gave him money. She gave him a ride. She told him about the gift. She wrapped it. She opened it. And at the very end, she looks at, his, at, at, at her son with sheer delight and says, thank you for the gift. That is a picture, a small picture of what John is saying, when you are connected to Jesus, you have grace upon grace. Because Jesus, as truly God and truly man, has done it all for you and for me. He has done it all. He has healed our hearts by his life, death, and resurrection. He has healed the darkness because his light shines the darkness will never overcome it. Jesus has done it all. And when you connect your life to him, John says, you will have grace upon grace. So do you want life this morning? Because John says, apart from a healthy heart, you do not have life. But John is holding out to us Jesus Christ, who is truly God and truly man, he says, when you connect yourself to him, you will have life. And you will have life to the fullest. Do you want that this morning? Consider that an invitation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're so mesmerized by your greatness, that you, from the beginning, were with God and you are God. You are the creator, sustainer of all things. You are the healer of the nations. You are the great redeemer. You are our prophet, priest, and king. You are everything. And we thank you for your word, which is eternal and true. And we pray 
Um, Father, that you would write these eternal truths upon all of our hearts, that we might never forget that you are truly God and truly man, and what that means for us in order to live a healthy life. Lord, I don't know where everyone is here this morning, what posture they have, have come into this place, but I would imagine there is belief and unbelief. I would imagine there is heartache and sorrow and there is joy and blessing and I pray that you would just meet us wherever we are that you would answer our questions you would answer our prayers and you would draw near to us and remind us that you love us and that you are well pleased with us so would you do that by the power of your Holy Spirit we pray this in your name Amen